Sir John, found on page 989 of your pew Bibles. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to CSAC. Um, my name's Bryn. Uh, I don't actually go here. Um, <laughs> sounds weird to say. I used to, but my wife and I, we moved to Sydney um, at the start of the year, last year, sorry, 2020. Um, and this is just the second talk in a little two-week series on Second John and Third John. And yeah, really looking forward to getting into Third John today. So once again, welcome to CSAC. Uh, and today we're kind of looking at welcomes, as you might have noticed on your handout. It says warm welcomes. And I was trying to think about what's some of the warmest welcomes I've ever received. Uh, and I think my nana used to always take the cake. Um, in fact, she used to give the cake, quite literally. And I used to love it because every time I'd turn up, there would be a triple pack of Mentos on my bed. And I'm not talking the, like the mint Mentos. I'm talking the lolly one that you can just pop like crazy. So I'd do that. The lolly jar was filled, and she would also make my favorite slice, lemon slice. You know, take notes if you want. Um, and it just, you know, clearly the way to welcome and, and, and love me is through my stomach, but it was wonderful. And not only that, she'd think about fun things we could do while we stayed with her. Um, so Pop used to always take us to Science Works uh, in Williamstown, and that was real, a real joy. But I wonder for you guys, what's the warmest welcome you've ever had? And I'm sure you've all got things that are coming to mind, and I'm sure you've also got experience of really bad welcomes as well. Uh, and that's kind of the theme of the passage today, welcomes, right? Now, before we get into it, I want to remind us of Second John. So, just briefly, and actually, probably a quick summary of, of Second John is this, do not welcome See, there were, you can look at the top of um, the page. You've got 2nd John and 3rd John on the same page. So how convenient is that? But you see, there's actually deceivers 
as John called them, false teachers who had gone out and they were spreading a false gospel. They denied Jesus' incarnation. So they denied that Jesus had come to earth in the flesh. And so if you look at verse 10 and 11 of Second John, he said this, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that is the teaching of Christ, the gospel, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. And so if Second John's message was do not welcome, Third John's message is welcome. So that might explain why people didn't return after last week from Second John. Uh, but, you know, if you're stuck around for Third John, then hopefully you see the message is welcome. And I think they're, they're two letters that we need to hold together to get the fullness of them, I reckon. Um, so let's get stuck into Third John. We're at our first point on the handout, Gaius. Gaius. So once again here we have a letter from John and he calls himself the elder. And he's not writing to a whole church this time. He's actually just writing to an individual, to Gaius. And what's clear from the start is that he really loves this guy. So he's a dear companion and John hopes and prays that his physical health would reflect what he knows about his spiritual health. Look with me at verse 1 and 2. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. And so as the Apostle John sort of sits in his command mission control center somewhere, he hears this report that Gaius is walking in the truth and it's the best news that he can hear. I kind of imagine it's like a loving father receiving news in a war from his son on the front lines, right? He's still hanging in there. He's well. He's alive. Look at verse 3 and 4. He gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So Gaius is continuing to walk in the truth. And we saw that. That came up a lot last week, if you remember. And what that means is that he's actually continuing to trust in Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. And he's actually not just talking the talk, he's actually walking the walk. He's living that out, right? He's living in line with what he believes, seeking to live a life of obedience to God's word. So in short here, John is just overjoyed to hear his dear friend Gaius is walking in the truth. And now we get to see a bit more specifically what that actually looks like, right? What was it that Gaius was doing to warrant this really good report? Have a look with me at verses 5 to 7. I'll read it all out. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So just keep your eyes on this section for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, what has Gaius been doing that is so commendable? See, I think it's clear he's been showing remarkable love for Christian brothers and sisters, even though they were strangers. But I think as you, you see what's going on, he's, he's called to send them on their way. And they're people that have gone out. And if you look down at verse 8, he's then called to show hospitality. So I think, I think what's been going on is that 
Gaius has been having these people in his home. He's welcomed these strangers, Christian brothers and sisters, into his home and he's shown them great hospitality. He's shown them a really warm welcome. Now, look, as a bit of an aside, it's worth talking about hospitality in the first century world. Because back then you, you didn't have Trivago, you didn't have Airbnb. So if you travelled, you pretty much had two main options, right? You could stay at an inn or you could stay with a regular household or family. Um, but seeing as if you stayed in an inn, you'd probably wake up without a kidney and all your possessions gone. Uh, it, was, it was common custom to take the second option, right, to stay with regular families in households. Um, so while we probably think of hospitality in general as, you know, cooking up a storm and having someone over for lunch or having your relatives stay with you for a while, and, and you know, that is hospitality and that is hospitable, actually in the ancient world a lot of hospitality seems to predominantly be about welcoming complete strangers into your house as they went about on their travels. That was part of the custom. That was part of the norm. Now, if you think back to last week, this can kind of be abused, right? So you've got these deceivers, people who are actually seeking to spread uh, false things about Jesus, lies. They can, they can kind of utilize this system to travel around and get welcomed into homes and spread their message. And that's what John warned about last week. Do not welcome. The guy here is being praised for his hospitality. And so I guess the question to ask is, what's different about the people that Gaius is welcoming? And our answer, I think, is in verse 7. Have a look at that with me. We see, basically, that they're not deceivers, right? Verse 7 says, it was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So they're the real deal. It's for Jesus' sake that they're going out, spreading the good news that all who call on his name will be saved. They're probably what we would call Christian missionaries or, or gospel workers or maybe, maybe traveling teachers or itinerant preachers or something, going about spreading the good news that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And so we, we can probably see a, a, a real danger of Second John is that we just bolt our doors and don't welcome anyone. So then we need Third John here to kind of help measure that. And see, actually, that welcoming true Christians who bring the true gospel is a really wonderful thing to do. And so John concludes in verse 8, have a look at that with me, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. And I think that's the real crux of the matter here. I think what he's saying is that welcoming true gospel workers is to actually partner in their ministry of truth. Whereas, as we saw last week, welcoming false gospel workers is to partner in their, in their wicked work, as John said in verse 10 and 11. So my question is this. How do we show hospitality to Christians who have gone out for the sake of Jesus in the 21st century? See, for Gaius it meant welcoming them into his home, caring for them, loving them, probably cooking them pancakes every breakfast. But while I think that is a really nice and loving thing to do, I kind of think in the 21st century, that's not really how Christian missionaries operate. Um, and that's not really how it's all done. It's not sort of through traditional house-to-house, staying in the home with different believers. I mean, maybe 
let me know if I'm wrong, but these days mission agencies don't generally just send someone over to another country to couch surf as they go. I, maybe they do somewhere, but I haven't heard of that. So I think actually that's not really the um, sort of the way of doing things anymore, right? I propose that actually to do what Gaius is doing, to, to use what we have to support and love and care for the work of the gospel and the workers of the gospel going out, I propose that actually the way we primarily do, primarily do this now is more so through our money and through our friendship and through our prayers. So I think that makes sense, right? So for like CMS or something, to send a missionary, you're actually raising support and money so that when they go over to the other side of the world, they can live there and they can reach out to the people in that place rather than opening up your home. Although you might have opportunities for that. Don't not do that. But actually, I think the main way we do it is through our money and through our friendship and prayers. And so I ask you, do you think you're receiving and welcoming missionaries, gospel workers like Gaius is? You know, just as Gaius used what he had, he's clearly using his home and his possessions, his time and his effort. Do you actually use what you have to do this, to love and care for missionaries and the work of the gospel? And I wonder too, if John was to write me a letter or write you a letter, would he be commending you? Or would he be pointing out actually some ways that you might do this differently? One thing... um. I've noticed and been really moved by recently is just how amazingly well Australians have gotten behind the bushfire crisis in terms of their generosity, right? Just millions and millions of dollars pledged to support uh, this crisis. And I think that is an awesome and wonderful thing. And to be honest, that's mostly from what I'm seeing coming from non-Christians. Now, friends, I think our world is facing an even bigger crisis than the bushfires, and that's actually the crisis of people's sin. It's a crisis of people not knowing God and being under God's judgment. And without the gospel, well, there's, there's no salvation. Without the gospel, there is no hope. And so I sort of look at, I look at the bushfires and I think, imagine if Christians got behind the cause of the gospel in such a passionate way and reached out to the world in crisis. Wouldn't that be an amazing, wonderful thing to do? Now, you might not know where to begin with this, but there are many different organisations out there seeking to reach the world, and there are many different churches and groups doing good, faithful gospel ministry here in our own city. So I just think, you know, we already as a church support some CMS missionaries. Why not partner with one of them yourselves? Why not think about how you might pray for them why not think about how you might give? Uh, one thing, Kate and I, we, um, we did an apprenticeship with student ministry and we sent out a prayer letter and we really loved getting email responses. It was, really, it was really lovely to hear from people, even some people that we didn't know that well. So why don't you, you find someone who is going out for the sake of the name and actually contact them, even if you've never met them, and say, hello, I've heard about what you're doing. I really love to see... Uh, you do more work sharing the gospel with others. What are ways I can be praying for you? Share your lives with them. In the industrialised, globalised world, sometimes it's a bit less personal than having people in your house, but there are still great ways that we can partner with the work of the gospel all over the world. It would be a wonderful thing to do. 
uh, in response to 3 John. Now, having looked at a really good example, we're going to take a look at a really bad example. So we're at the second heading in your handouts, Diotrephes. So we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10. Now, this guy's a bit more of a shady character. And I think if John was using a three-strike system, uh, Diotrephes would have been long gone, basically. So let's just quickly survey in uh, verses 9 and 10 what are some of the things that Diotrephes is doing wrong. Well, firstly, I think he's ignoring what John has written to them. We see that in verse 9. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. The word there is also sort of receive us. He's not going to have a bar of what they have to say to him. Secondly, he's spreading malicious nonsense about John and other gospel workers. Thirdly, he refuses to welcome these missionary-like characters that Gaius has been welcoming so well. It's in verse 10. Fourthly, he actually stops others who want to welcome from doing so. So he's not just abstaining from doing a good thing himself, he's actually actively stopping other people from doing a good thing. And fifthly, he's putting them out of the church. All right? He's kicking people out of the church for actually supporting, wanting to support their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I wonder how might John respond to Diotrephes? What we actually see is response in verse 10. He says, I will call attention to what he's doing. See, Diotrephes has ignored and rejected John's authority as an apostle, and John's going to call him out for what he's doing. But actually, there's one other detail about Diotrephes that I haven't mentioned yet, and I wonder if you've spotted it. It was in verse 9. I'll read it out again. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. Now, I wonder how you might get introduced at a party. Uh, You know, this is Joe, he's hilarious. This is Jane, she's the nicest person I've ever met. I was introducing a friend just this morning and I said, this is Chris, he plays cello. You know, sometimes you, you, you say really key details about someone. So, or maybe one of the first things that comes to mind, right? So what does Diotrephes get? He loves to be first. So he must have one serious ego. If that's the defining characteristic that actually comes to mind about this guy, I think John is highlighting what a serious problem that is. And I think you can sort of see how all his actions sprout from this arrogance and pride, right? See, he's not listening to the authority of others. John writes to him, he doesn't want a bar of it. He actually spreads lies to undermine the authority of others and perhaps, you know, exalt himself in the process. He actually rejects any outside influence on the church, which he apparently has some sort of leadership or control over, and he's willing to get rid of any opposition or slight threat to his, you know, chokehold of power. And so I think what we're seeing here is someone who is demonstrating seriously toxic and proud leadership. And just comparing to Gaius, rather than, you know, use what he has to welcome and love and support gospel workers in the cause of the gospel, you actually see he uses what he has, his position and his influence, to actively oppose it. And I think, sadly, that sort of thinking and those sort of attitudes can actually infiltrate our churches. And I think sort of a more subtle way that that can happen is that we can just start to think that our church is the only one that really is doing anything good and everything else is rubbish. 
Right? We can be skeptical of any and all churches that aren't our own or any ministry that isn't our own. So he doesn't actually say that, that uh, Diotrephes was doing ministry in his church. He could have been very busy, right? Saying he's actually rejecting any outside influence. He's actually failing to listen to the apostles. So often we can just think, we're doing the real ministry. We're the ones who are really doing the work. Everyone else is sort of behind us or beneath us. And I think sadly it can really influence how we talk about other ministries and talk about other churches. I think we can let our egos really get in the way of good gospel ministry. And so on that briefly, I just, I just want to ask you to be careful about how you speak about other churches or ministries or individuals. Now what I'm not saying is to just silence people, right? Because in Second John, he was clearly coming down very hard on people who taught a different gospel. So it's not saying big theological differences like teaching a completely different gospel are things that we shouldn't bring up, right? And I, don't, I also don't think it's saying that we shouldn't be holding leaders to high account in character, right? I think Paul's letters of Timothy and Titus teach us that clearly. But I think if another ministry is teaching the gospel clearly, teaching God's word faithfully, yet we still sort of speak out against them, bring them down a peg, try to make them look bad, I think we're acting a bit like Diotrephes. We're actually opposing good gospel ministry. And so I know for myself this is helpful to think about in terms of what's just my own practical sort of pragmatics in ministry or what's my own personal style. I personally like smaller churches. And I kind of like church services where you can see cracks in the service. So where not everything goes perfectly and smoothly. I actually quite like that. But then for me to hold a grudge against churches that do very smooth and slick presentation, or a church that's a little bit bigger than I like, and to sort of subtly dislike that ministry and deter people from it, I don't think that's the right attitude. I think that's a bit sad. A bit sad that I would let my own preferences and my own ego about those things get in the way of other groups that might wholeheartedly be hoping to teach the good news of Jesus. And I think one thing I, I, probably the clearest example of this I see is sadly in those really tiny little sort of dying churches where you might have 10 people who they just want to cling to things the same way and never change anything and they're actually not letting someone come in and teach the Bible. They would much rather go down with the ship than let someone who wholeheartedly wants to bring in the good news of Jesus to the church. And in a place like Melbourne, right, four million people, so many people that have not heard about Jesus. Imagine that, churches that actually oppose that spread of the gospel. That is a really sad thing. So friends, on that, I just want to warn you to be careful about how you talk about other ministries. By all means, if you have theological issues, that are worth bringing up, do so. Or character issues that are worth bringing up, do so. But if it is potentially just your ego and your way of doing things, then please check yourself. Please check yourself. Now, we come to our third and final point, Demetrius. Now, he gets a little bit less airtime than the other guys. Uh, in verse 12, we're just told he's someone who's well spoken of by everyone, right? Right? So have a look at verse 12. 
Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. So Demetrius, we don't know much about him or what he's doing, but he seems like an honourable guy, someone who holds to the truth. And I think that's the reason John brings him up and tells Gaius about him. Remember, this is written to Gaius. I think he wants Gaius to have someone to imitate. So if you backtrack to verse 11 with me, have a look at that. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. So John has given Gaius two examples, right? Diotrephes and Demetrius. And I guess for us reading on, we get a third example. We get the example of Gaius as well. But he's holding these examples out there that we might imitate the good and not the evil. Now, Kate and I, we have a little two-and-a-half-year-old niece, and she's very cute, and she does a lot of hilarious things all the time. And we were in, we were in Bendigo visiting them recently, and she was doing acrobats. She's tearing around doing acrobats, which was, you know, standing there doing little poses, things, somersaults on the ground. She'd clearly been watching some gymnasts, and she was just imitating them, right, completely copying them. And I think John realises, actually, as adults, we're just like that too, right? The people we see, we imitate. And for Gaius, he wants him to keep growing in, in gospel hospitality, in welcoming and love. And so he puts before him uh, someone else to actually follow, Demetrius. Now, that's, a, that's a wonderful encouragement that actually in our own churches we could have people we can look up to and follow their example of. And especially as we've touched on already, hospitality in terms of this gospel hospitality that Gaius is demonstrating, in the 21st century looks a bit differently. So it's wonderful to have examples to see what that looks like in this context. But as we continue in verse 11, there's kind of a pointedness to all of this as well. Read the rest of verse 11 with me. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. So having looked at these different examples, I think John is now reminding Gaius of something that he wrote about in his first letter, 1 John. And a big idea throughout that letter is this. If you truly know God, then actually that's going to be shown through your life, right? If you truly know God, it's going to be shown in your love for Christian brothers and sisters. If you truly know God, it will be shown whether you live in obedience to his commands. That's what true faith looks like. And so actually we have quite a pointed warning here. And I think what it's saying is this. Actually, if you're someone who opposes Christians and you oppose the work of the gospel, like Diotrephes, are you actually a Christian? I think in in this verse is a pretty hard-hitting point. And I guess the implication for Diotrephes is, well, probably not. And so I think this can be a bit of a diagnostic for our own faith, right? How we treat other Christians, how we treat the work and spread of the gospel can actually reflect somewhat our own heart and the state of our relationship with God. See, they're kind of symptoms that point to a bigger picture. You know, if you're, if you're coughing and you've got a sore throat and you've got a runny nose, you probably conclude you've got a cold. But if you actually have a faith that is unwelcoming and unloving and self-centered and, and opposing the spread of the gospel against missionaries, against gospel promotion, well, actually, 
that can point to an underlying issue. As John says, you, you don't know God. You haven't seen him. And I think this makes perfect sense, right? If you're against receiving other Christians who have gone out for the sake of Jesus, then have you really understood the gospel? Have you understood that despite all our sin and hostility toward God, he actually has welcomed us into his arms through the cross? And if Jesus has welcomed us so graciously by dying in our place, if you're actually unloving and opposed to other Christians and to Christians who want to spread that very message that God has welcomed us in Christ, well, have you really understood that love that God shows us? As Romans 15.7 says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And so here at the end of this letter, we have, we have a bit of a warning and a bit of a challenge to examine our hearts. Perhaps today you need to repent of an attitude and a track record like Diotrephes. And the good news of the gospel is that even if you have done those things, if you turn and trust in Jesus, God will welcome you into his family. He will forgive you of your sins. And so, friends, this brings us to the end of John's third letter. I think it's a great little letter. And once again, as I said, we didn't get to look at First John, so... You know, it could be a wonderful idea to read that in, in the coming days. Uh, and John, he also ends his letter here in such a warm and personal way. Let's just have a look at that. Verse 13 and 14. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. And so I think John ends this letter very fittingly. He ends it with greeting, uh, and I do hope that we actually heed John's call uh, to welcome, to be people who sacrificially, lovingly and faithfully support the workers and work of the gospel going out. And I hope that we won't ever be people that actually oppose this very work. They're actually unloving and unwelcoming toward it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the ways uh, that you reveal yourself uh, to us through it and the ways that you shape us to be more like Christ. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be like Gaius, to follow his wonderful example of hospitality and love and generosity towards the cause of the gospel. Please, Father, help us um, to so show hospitality in the same way that he did so that we might be fellow workers for the truth. And we do pray as well, Lord, that you would help us to not act like Diotrephes. Help us, Father, to um, fight against all the hateful, um, all the unwelcoming, unloving attitudes and actions in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to see that through Jesus Christ, you have so completely welcomed us into your family, Lord. So we pray that you'd help us to show that same love to others and have that same opening warm welcome towards the work of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.